You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. For those of you that haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, we have stepped away from the book of Genesis um, for the past few weeks, and we've been discussing and talking about um, our church, the vision that we've set for our church based on what we believe Scripture teaches, um, how we've contextualized that vision for here in Sonoy, um, what we desire to be known for as a church. I had a really interesting discussion with a guy that I was interviewing this week at Trinity for a position next year, and um, as we were talking, um, the topic of church came up. I was asking him about where he currently goes to church, and um, he, he confessed to me. He said, I hope you don't think this is weird. He said, I, um, on your school's website, I figured out that you were a pastor, and so I did some research and started looking at your church and, and your website, and he said, I just want you to know, like, if, if we come to Trinity, like, our plan is to, to come and, and visit your church and potentially be a part of your church based on what I'm seeing on the website, which I thought was really relevant for how we even began this discussion, that we've put something out there on our website that says, this is what we want to be as a church, and we want people to see that, and we want people to come here and experience what they believe they were going to come and experience here based on what they see on that website. We've cast our vision. We've, we've, we've portrayed what we believe Scripture desires for us to be as a church. And if someone stumbles upon our website and is intrigued and drawn by what they see there, they should obviously come here and, and experience that and not experience a letdown. Um, and so we dialogued a little bit about uh, even what was attractive to him. He talked about the fact that he... You know, he, he and his family want to be a part of a church that he can uh, know people and be known in, in, in a small environment. But he said, my experience with small churches is that, that they aren't growing. Um, and if they are growing, they're, uh, they're growing to be big, and, and then you lose that family atmosphere. And he said, so I was just really drawn to the fact that you guys want to be a small church that continues to plant other churches. It's a guy who, um, who even feels that he may be called into ministry at some point and, and wants to to work a job and, and be a pastor as well. And so it was just neat to hear his heart and how it resonated with what we're doing here. Um, and in my mind, I'm thinking, um, I'm, I'm so glad that we're working on this. I'm so glad that we're re-communicating that vision so that we can be a place where people read about us, they come and they experience what they've read about on our website. It should be a true and accurate reflection of who we are as a church. And so if you haven't been here We've been walking through this series talking about what we desire to be as a church, a church that loves. Uh, We started this series out talking about being a church that is known for fellowship and accountability and discipline and restoration resulting in the perseverance of our members. We want to be a place where somebody can bring their family and know and and trust that they're going to be taken care of spiritually and that when sin creeps into their family, they're going to have people here that are going to help uh, free that family member from sin through accountability and fellowship and, and where necessary discipline and that our church is going to be ready there to restore um, so that, that we persevere to the end, so that we claim Christ. And when Christ returns, we're still claiming Christ, a place that people can experience that type of biblical love. Secondly, a church that grows. We desire to be a church that is known for pursuing personal sanctification by imitating others through discipleship, resulting in the spiritual maturity of our members. As Paul shared with his churches, his desire was that they grow up in Christ, that they be mature in Christ, that they're feasting on the meat of the word and not the milk. Um, And so we desire to be a place where people are pursuing personal sanctification, 
where they're being equipped to, to pursue Christ individually, uh, but they're doing so by imitating others that are more mature than them through discipleship, that we have older men and women here that are ready to pour into the lives of those that are younger, whether it's from an age standpoint or, if nothing else, a spiritual standpoint. Uh, there's people that are saying, come and follow Christ um, as I'm following Christ. Follow me um, as I model that for you. A church that grows, a church that serves, we desire to be a church that's known for showing compassion and care to others. We don't want to be just about ourselves. We don't want to just be inward focused. We want to be outward focused. We want to have our members using their gifts and resources to serve each other and to serve people outside of this church. We want to be leadership that is equipping you to do so. Last week we talked on Easter Sunday about a church that hopes. We desire to be a church that is known for trusting in the good promises of God while longing for his return and our resurrection. My hope is that if somebody visits here and they're around people that have been here for a while, that the idea of God's promises comes up in their discussion, that, that somebody is reflecting to them that here at this church, we emphasize God's promises and we emphasize believing those promises, and it results in our joy and contentment no matter what circumstances we're facing that we're a group of people that are looking forward to anxiously the return of Jesus Christ and our own resurrection. That it's a point that gets talked about regularly here, not when we have a, uh, a night of theological eschatology discussion. That it's not just a series that we do about Jesus coming back where we give you a bunch of charts and dates and possibilities of who the Antichrist is. That we're constantly just talking about Jesus coming back because that's the hope of the Christian in the New Testament. And then two weeks ago, we talked about a church that plants. And so I reordered them kind of in a, in a way that flows better. I wanted the other one to fall on Easter Sunday. So the church that plants is kind of the, uh, systematically the last one here. We desire to be a church that if all those things are happening, we're a place that's loving and growing. Uh, we're a place that's hoping properly, um, that we become a place that then plants. A desire to be a church that's known for pursuing the lost. Uh, we, you know, we had people sharing prayer requests today about their interaction with lost people this week. Alex and, and Chris going to Uganda. Uh, Miss Denise spending time with Carly. We, we want to be a church that's known for that, that's pursuing the lost. And then when people visit our church, we talked about reasons people visit our church. We want to seize those opportunities and make them feel welcome here. Training the faithful, resulting in the establishment of new churches through the relocation of our members. We want to be a place that's planting churches in Noonan and Peachtree City and Fayetteville and Griffin um, that we're we're growing to a point where we can't fit in this room anymore. And so we send people out and we say, okay, go plant a church in that city. Um, and here's, here's pastoral leadership. Here's elders that will go with you to lead and guide you in that. Um, and so that kind of concludes our series in, in what I see, what we've put on the website. So again, nothing new here, just trying to take everything that's on our website, everything we've been talking about since day one, kind of repackaging it for you, summarizing it for you, and then representing it to you over the past five weeks. My goal now uh, for the next couple of weeks is for us to talk heavy application for what we do with this. How do we uh, clean up some things? How do we do some things maybe a little bit differently? How do we emphasize some things that up to this point haven't been emphasized to make sure that we're this type of church? Um, and that leads us today to, um, <coughs> and we'll kind of start backwards. So we'll start with a church that plants today, um, and we're going to talk about um, deacons further. Um, it's a point that hasn't been overly emphasized here at our church, but as I shared with you earlier today, I think it's a point that we've got to start discussing further if we're going to be a church that plants. 
part of our five-year plan was to raise up additional elders and deacons um, so that we can send people out <coughs> with leadership to do that. All right, we said two weeks ago that leadership development must become a key feature of Sovereign Hope Church. So we're going to review just a little bit about what we talked about in regards to deacons, um, and then I'm going to share with you um, kind of a rough draft perspective on what we're thinking right now as elders and deacons currently here at this church, get some feedback from you on how we can continue to tweak some of that process so that we can move forward very soon with installing more deacons here at our church, because I believe we have people qualified. I believe we have people that can serve and are ready to serve. Um, it's a matter of putting that into practice. All right, um, hopefully you're in First Timothy chapter 3. Uh, before we do that, um, I want to emphasize to you that in the New Testament, um, I believe we see two clear offices um, of leadership in the local churches. Um, you have to remember that um, book of Acts and some of these letters, the church is being established and it's growing. And so whereas some things may not be in place at some points in the book of Acts and in some of these letters, they do become in place maybe later on um, in the process. And what we see in Philippians 1 it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. You see three groups of people there, I think. Um, you see the saints that are there in these cities, the, the church members. <coughs> you have to apologize. I'm probably going to cough most of the service. I've been coughing for a week for some reason. I'm not, I can't get rid of it. Um, you got the members, the saints. Then you've got the overseers, who we would understand to be the elders. And then you've got what he calls the deacons, okay? So he's, <coughs> he's talking about these different positions in the church, okay? But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we get the qualification discussion of the deacons. All right. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I, I feel like I've read about as much as I can <coughs> on deacons, um, and, and it's been a long time since I've come across something new. What, what you find in Scripture and what you find in people that are picking apart Scripture is that there's a lot of ambiguity about how deacons get applied in a local church. Um, so my point that I want to kind of remind you of this morning is that in Scripture, the emphasis is placed on the quality of the individual, who they are. There's far more discussion on who should be serving as a deacon versus what they should actually be doing as a deacon. Okay, so we see some, some commitment here to the type of individual. <coughs> it says, deacons likewise, in verse 8, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. That's where I think the discussion kind of ensues with how long should they be at our church before they're allowed to be a deacon? Because there's this idea of testing, proving themselves to be blameless. Okay. Number 11, or verse 11, their wives, um, and we've talked and we'll talk a minute in a minute here about the translation being uh, potentially different than what we have here. Their wives likewise must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Two different classifications here, I think, in the things that are being emphasized. I think I put them in your notes. There's, there's some personal character stuff that's being talked about and some spiritual character stuff that's being talked about in this listing. Some things that, that in the, I think could fall under the personal character. It talks about deacons being dignified. <coughs> it's individuals that are well thought of, that have a good reputation. Not, not so much from a spiritual standpoint, but just from the, 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 the person of who they are outside the church in a setting where, where spirituality is not even being brought into play. Who they are at their jobs, who they are in their neighborhoods. They're dignified, they're well thought of people. Talks about them being consistent in speech, right? This is a value for somebody, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. Someone who's not double-tongued. You're looking for somebody who is not a gossip, all right? Not somebody who's saying one thing and then saying a different thing over here. They're also somebody who is not um, a people pleaser, right? Not somebody who's going to say what they think you want to hear and then say something totally different to this person. We probably all know people that would, that would fall into that category, that would be considered double-tongued. Gossips, people pleasers, people that when you hear them talk, you're not really sure you're getting what, what you're hearing. Um, also talks about them being uh, spirit-led, not addicted to much wine. In other passages, we can see that they're to be spirit-led, they're not addicted. They're not being motivated by some type of substance. They're not being sustained by some type of substance beyond uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about them being not uh, lovers of money, not, um, not greedy for dishonest gain. Okay, so these are all things that, that you would probably look for in a, in a good employee, um, irregardless of whether it's a Christian organization or not. These are qualifications that, that are good for uh, just your average employee, just your average individual. You're looking for somebody who's dignified, who's, who's well thought of, who is consistent in speech, who, who's not addicted to substances, right? Like it doesn't emphasize the spirit part here, but it does talk about not being addicted to wine. That can easily get you fired from a job in a secular setting, right? Um, and, and not being greedy for gain, not having a, a history of, of dishonesty when it comes to money. That's certainly a point that's valued in businesses today, right? Then there's kind of a transition to the spiritual character. Um, doctrinally sound says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience this is somebody who um, is convicted and living accordingly to their theology okay and i I want you to think as we're talking about these things i want you to think about people in our church that meet these qualifications because obviously this is building to a point where we're gonna we're gonna ask you for people that you believe should be deacons in this church Okay, um, so I want you to, to, to hear these qualifications. I want you to think about who comes to mind when you hear these things. Um, this is somebody who has, has, has spent some time studying, who has spent some time reasoning and learning, and, and has a, a clear understanding of where they stand on, on certain beliefs, key beliefs, and can articulate those, I think, back to you. They, they hold it with, with a, uh, the, the mystery of Scripture, some of the difficulties of Scripture. They, they know what to do with it. Um, they do it with conviction. Um, with a clear conscience, okay? Um, it's somebody that's been tested and found faithful. So it's somebody that <coughs> has been here for a little while. It's somebody that we've seen them demonstrate their value in this setting. 
somebody that's, that's been found blameless. It's somebody that can be relied upon. It's somebody that has demonstrated good character and it's been observed by people here over an extended period of time. Um, in doing so, they've proved themselves blameless. And I think specifically um, in the area of moral purity. So it takes, I think it takes a break in verse 11 because I think it starts talking about women deacons here, about being dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, uh, faithful in all things, which is really just a reiteration of what's already been said, right? I mean, he's already talked about being dignified. He's already talked about being um, uh, faithful in their speech, not double-tongued, so not a slanderer. Um, sober-minded, right? Not given to much wine. Faithful in all things. They're found to not be, uh, they're found to be blameless. And then in verse 12, it says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. So when it talks about being blameless, I think specifically, he can tie it there to moral purity, that it's individuals who are committed to their spouse. And we talked a couple of weeks ago that this is an individual, I, I don't think the stress here is placed on whether they've been divorced or not. And I don't think it was a big enough issue where polygamy was being addressed here, right? So some of the interpretations are this person can never be divorced or this person can only legitimately have one wife and not multiple wives, okay? I, I think the idea here is more what the, what the real interpretation, what the real literal interpretation is. It's a one-woman man. It's somebody who has committed himself to a woman. Now, John MacArthur would say it's going to take a special situation where somebody who is divorced, can serve in this capacity because you're going to have to really delve into the specifics of the divorce. If that individual's sin led to that divorce, it may render them to a place where they're not blameless, right? Uh, you know, just a, a, a scenario that you could imagine here is, let's say we had an individual here in our church who's divorced. Let's say it was even before they were a Christian, but their, ex, uh, their ex-wife is, is local um, and there's a continued perception and understanding that his actions in that marriage were wrong. Uh, she's remarried, he's remarried, so there's no hope of reconciliation. That cloud may prevent him from really being able to serve uh, appropriately, uh, being able to serve without blame, okay? But I don't think it's prohibiting somebody from being divorced. So I think it's leaving the door open that you could have an individual who is remarried who can be dignified and can be blameless and has uh, move beyond that in such a way that it would not prohibit them from serving in the church in this capacity. Um, I think he's tying that blamelessness to moral purity uh, in the area of relationships. And then it talks about him being a good spiritual manager of his family, right? Managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. These are things that wouldn't translate into the workforce really, Right? Um, you, you, you don't necessarily worry about your job status if you're going through a divorce. You don't necessarily worry about your job status if your kids are being insubordinate at home, right? These are more spiritual uh, character traits that this individual demonstrates. So the, the personal character traits that would be valued in a business, but then also these spiritual character traits that are unique to the deacon, uh, the deacon role. Um, I think Paul is emphasizing both both aspects here and he, in his communication of the qualifications. So the emphasis is heavily placed upon the quality of the individual, okay? Which leads us to the second point. There is less clarity concerning the description of their work, what they do. <clears throat> now, you remember a couple weeks ago, we stressed here that our church 
we envision elder, or we envision deacons being individuals that help meet needs in the church, that ultimately support the elders. They're basically there to take on whatever they can to alleviate any uh, additional duties being placed upon the elders. So they meet needs, they support the elders, and then they encourage unity. Um, Sometimes uh, you might have an individual that just feels intimidated about coming to an elder about an issue in the church because the fear is that maybe uh, an elder would be personally defensive about what's being done because this is how they're leading the church. A deacon is separated from the leadership part of the church, but they work closely with the elders in such a way that I think they can receive concerns, maybe even complaints in a, in a way where somebody may feel more at ease to talk about that and to share that. Understanding that it will get back to the elders. But the deacons can also provide um, right perspective if there's a wrong perspective in the thing that's being addressed. So they support the elders. They meet needs. They encourage unity. But I think they provide an additional extension for how even issues can be brought to the elders' attention. Okay? But in Scripture, we find really a, a lack of clarity about what deacons do. I'd, I'd love to take you from the qualification passage now to the passage that talks about here's the job description for a deacon. Here's what the deacons do. They handle this and this and this and this. And it's just not clear. Now, if you want to turn back over to Acts chapter 6, this is a passage that we've talked about several times when we've talked about deacons. Um, and so you may be thinking, well, why not go to Acts 6? In Acts chapter 6, this is early in the church's history, right? Like Pentecost has just happened a couple of chapters ago. Church is growing. People are being added. Um, but I think there's still a lot that's yet to be worked out about the structure um, and, and the polity of the church, the church government. Um, so I don't think you get a clear picture here as to who exactly is being talked about. Uh, Tyson sent me an article from John MacArthur who who kind of presents this, this passage as being a passage that's not necessarily talking about deacons, okay? So, you'll remember in this passage, we talked about the church growing, uh, the disciples are increasing in number, there's a complaint by the Hellenists, the Hebrews are, um, Hebrew wives um, are getting their uh, distribution daily, so they're getting provided for, but the, the Hellenists aren't. So the Hebrews are being taken care of adequately, the Hellenists aren't, and so they're complaining about there being kind of a, a prejudiced mindset as to who's getting helped by the church. Um, the uh, the apostles summon uh, the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should do this. We're focused on preaching and praying for the church. We need you to pick some people to handle this. We see them handle it. They select seven men who then take care of the distribution. They become the overseers of that. Everybody gets taken care of, and it says the church continues to grow and continues to thrive. The, the word for deacon is used in this passage, but you'll remember the word for deacon is used over 100 times in the New Testament, most of the time in a general sense, not talking about a specific office. So the word, uh, the word for deacon is oftentimes just translated as servant or serving. When the translators of the Bible from Greek to English believe that it's talking about an office, they transliterate it to deacon. Okay, so the Greek word is very similar in sound to the English word deacon. They don't translate it as servant, so it's not servants should be qualified in this way. It's deacons should be qualified in this way because the translator is making a decision 
that we're now talking about an office and not a servant just in general terms, which I think is a fair assumption because it's qualifying what seems to be a position and not just qualifying what every church member should be, right? Because it seems that they're being set apart, okay? Um, But again, it's not clear in this passage that we're even talking about deacons. Um, I think there's some support for it, uh, even uh, extra biblical support. Um, The early church, uh, so after the apostles are kind of dead and gone and the church has just been left in the care of the elders that were established, so people that didn't directly follow Jesus, these churches have pastors. Um, In those early churches, what we found um, from archaeology is that the early church did use deacons to distribute goods to the poor during that uh, post-apostolic period. So the church seemed to follow this pattern, that the deacons were responsible for distributing the material needs to the poor, seemingly based on this passage. In fact, the church in Rome, after the apostles are dead and gone, they actually limited the amount of deacons that they would have in their church to seven, which is the exact same number we find here in Acts 6. So there's some support there that says the early church believed this was a reflection on what deacons did, even if it's not specifically presented in such a way, here's the first deacons. Uh, Because some of these guys may have gone on to actually be elders in churches versus deacons if you follow them through the book of Acts. Okay, so we've presented this passage as a way for us to better understand, I think, a little bit about what deacons maybe do without standing authoritatively on it and saying, here's your first deacons. Okay, Um. But I think if you turn over to Matthew 25, if you want to flip over there real quick, Matthew 25 is um, probably the best verse out of <clears throat> some of those hundred plus verses I could give you where the word deacon is used in a non-office uh, type setting. But every time it pops up, it, it seems to be in the context of this type of activity. So if you have people in their houses people visiting their houses, Um, Martha, when she's serving Jesus and his disciples, the word for deacon is being used for the type of service she is doing to them. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 25, it's probably the the, the best verse out of all of them. It says in verse uh, 44, so Matthew 25, verse 44. This is the passage where Jesus is, is returning and he's separating the faithful from the unfaithful and... He says, then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? That word for minister is that same deacon word. Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did uh, not do it to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. These will go away into eternal punishment. So the word for service, that deacon word is connected to this type of activity, the, the, the material care of individuals, the, uh, the hospitality ministry towards individuals, making someone feel welcome and not like a stranger. Um, emergencies arise. Someone's put into prison. You know, big life changes that require uh, someone to be ministered to. That's when the word deacon pops up in the New Testament, uh, when it's translated as a, as a word for service. I think that can help set the precedent for what we would then say the person who's in charge of what we see service looking like would obviously be connected to that type of service. I think that's a fair assumption. If 
If the word is always in the context of table waiting type ministry where I'm caring for somebody, taking care of somebody, uh, meeting their needs, making them feel welcome and comfortable. If they're in a bad situation, I'm going to minister to them in their big life change experience. That seems to be what the deacon responsibility was, to oversee those type of ministries to make sure they happen. And oftentimes what you see in some churches is that the pastor is expected to do all this, right? It's not uncommon to hear about people. uh, It's not uncommon for me to hear from pastors who have been criticized and uh, at times pushed out of churches because they weren't faithful to go to the hospital and visit with people, um, that they didn't make their rounds like they should have. And um, what what you see here, I think, is that there are other people in the church that are meant to be the extension of the elder, the pastor, who can help fulfill those needs in the life of the church without it falling all on one individual, right? That, that's the joy of serving in this church with additional elders, that it all doesn't fall upon me. And then with the bringing in of deacons, it doesn't fall on just the three of us, right? There's, there's, a, there's a, a, a bigger pool of people that can then be dispersed to make sure everybody's being taken care of. The, the apostles in Acts 6 didn't have a meeting that said, hey, we got to do better about getting these Hellenists their food. Right, like I need you. I need you twelve to buck up and start doing a better job. You've been spending too much time with your families, or you haven't been committed enough to this church. Right? They get together and they said, "Wow, there's a problem in our church, and we can't handle it by ourselves. We need more people. We need more people." Um, and so I think that's where the deacon ministry comes into play. It's the elders leading and teaching and shepherding, kind of setting the tone for the church but needing additional help. Now, that doesn't mean that that an elder never visits somebody in the hospital or never does any of these type of things. It just means that there are other people that are designated to make sure that they don't fall through the cracks, that they don't not happen, okay? So more emphasis on who they are, less clarity on what they do. In my notes, I put the basic task of deacons seems to be helping those in need of food, water, clothing, as well as ministering through hospitality and welcoming. The basic meaning of the Greek word is practical, active helping with respect to the basic necessities of life. Material care, connection, physical well-being, help in times of emergency. This is what John Piper says about deacons at his church. He says, it would seem then that the deacon office exists to assist the leadership of the church by relieving the elders of distractions and pressures that would divert them from the ministry of the word and prayer and the general visionary oversight of the church. Thus, it would seem that deacons would care for the building and grounds, supply the communion and baptismal needs, as well as all the other food and fellowship materials, administer a fund for the manifold material needs of the people, and be ready to step in during crises of all kinds, handle the greeting and welcoming ministries, provide practical assistance in job hunting, housing matters, legal aid, child care. In general, they would be ready to assist the elders of the church in any service that would support and promote the ministry of the word. I mean, even from a practical standpoint, on a Sunday morning, um, I'm getting PowerPoints and notes ready to teach. Tyson's up here practicing Adam's getting ready to teach in the nursery to the younger kids class. All three elders have teaching responsibilities on a Sunday morning that would oftentimes prohibit us from a visiting family walking in and us being right there to greet them. But oftentimes the expectation is, where's the pastor at? 
Where's the pastoral leadership at to talk to me? I think that's where the deacon ministry comes in and says, we're going to make sure that this isn't a, a, a thing that falls through the cracks on a Sunday morning. These guys are responsible for preaching and teaching and preparing the word on a Sunday during our service. How can we take this off their plate? How can we make sure that, that Adam doesn't stand up here and see visitors and, and wonder while he's preaching, has anybody talked to them yet? Has anybody made them feel welcome yet? So it becomes designated people to help with some of those uh, important needs of the church. Okay? Um, third point, just in a matter of review. The position seems to allow for a proper participation by women within the church. All right? And so we've talked about this back in 1 Timothy 3. So let's go back there real quick. First Timothy chapter three, verse 11, it says their wives. There's a decision made there by the translators to interpret that as their wives because there's no masculine or feminine word for deacon in the original Greek. They add the word there. Okay, so they're interpreting it to mean their wives. The literal interpretation leaves it open for debate. Okay, uh, the qualifications for the woman make the most sense in the context of female deacons. Because there's no indication that the elders' wives have uh, qualifications, right? There's no indication that the elders' wives have to be a certain way. So it seems odd that the deacons' wives would have to be living a certain way if you're not going to also prescribe, prescribe that to the elders' wives, okay? That's absent from the text. There's no discussion about elders' wives, but there would be about deacons' wives. Um, the big hang-up for... Uh, those that come from maybe a more conservative mindset and thinking about women and their role in the church, the big issue falls in 1 Timothy 2.12 on the teaching authority of a woman. All right, that, 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 that you know, here at this church, we would say that uh, the woman doesn't, uh, isn't empowered to teach and take on the spiritual authority over a man. What we're talking about here with the role of the deacon does not require a woman to do that. Because the men who are serving in that capacity don't do that. So it, it doesn't prohibit a woman, based on 1 Timothy 2.12, from serving as a deacon. Uh, Romans 16.1 seems to indicate uh, the woman Phoebe in a position more so than just being a servant. Uh, Romans 16.1, um, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord. Um, most translators say it seems most appropriate to interpret that as a a literal position, not just she serves in that church, but that she holds some type of position of service in that church. I think it's also worth noting, extra biblical, during the first centuries of the church, the role of a woman servant was to care for fellow believers who were sick, for the poor, for strangers passing through, and for the imprisoned. They also were responsible for helping baptize and disciple new women converts and to instruct children and other women. So this was part of the early church as well. And I think a lot of us would agree that some of these things we're talking about are probably best handled by a woman. Um, that a woman thinks along these lines about how to care for some of these needs, oftentimes better than a male. Um, and so it certainly shouldn't prohibit a woman from being a part of this if we're not talking about the teaching authority and the leadership being at stake. We're not seeing that here in the way that deacons would be applied here at our church. Um, and so I feel confident moving forward you know, Melissa's been serving faithfully as a deacon here at our church. She's been the only woman up to this point. Um, I don't see any reason for that not to continue to grow and expand. 
um, the inclusion of women in our deacon ministry here based on what we're asking them to do. I also feel confident the more I've read and the more I've researched that people that I value greatly um, use women deacons in their church. Men like John MacArthur, John Piper, uh, Tabidi Anyabale, um, David Platt. Like these are individuals that believe strongly that this passage should be understood as allowing for women's to, women to serve as deacons within the church. Um, so anytime I'm not real sure, if, if I can't feel like I can get a clear answer from the text, uh, oftentimes I try to find out what other men are doing that I respect greatly. And when I find continuity, it just reinforces um, my belief that, that Scripture is leading us in a certain direction, here in this direction, I think, with women being a part of the deacon ministry. All right, so this is all well and good, but if there's a lack of clarity in Scripture about what they do, we have to ask ourselves, why is that the case? And I think the reason for that is that it was going to be ever-changing as the church grew and as we got further and further away from that first-century church. Right, like I, I think to um, to list out exactly what um, the deacon was supposed to do would look far different than what deacons do today. So I think God, through through His Holy Spirit and through the inspiration of Scripture, allows for the needed flexibility for churches to determine what a deacon does in their specific church in the context of the day and age of when they are existing. Okay, so. If that's the case, then we have to kind of take what Scripture says and we have to say, okay, what does this look like in our church? Realizing that as soon as we start saying this is what it looks like, there may be a real absence of Scripture to back it up because there's not, again, a lot of clarity about what a deacon does, how you install deacons and that type of thing. So we got together as elders and deacons and began to put some of this together, okay? Uh, And I want to share some of that with you today because I really do welcome your feedback because oftentimes we can stand up here and say, guys, this is what Scripture says, and, and this is what we got to do. And, and I'm sorry if that doesn't resonate with you, but this is what Scripture says. In this case, because there's a lack of clarity, I think it's important that some of the things that we want to lead you guys in resonates with you. And I think it's helpful for you to maybe identify any blind spots that we see um, in our own meshing out of this. Okay, so we're going to talk about this just for a little bit before we wrap up today. Again, heavy on application because we want to move forward in installing more deacons. We haven't really had a formal process for doing that. And so I think this is where we need to rely upon you with some feedback. Again, the deacons and the elders got together and had this discussion. So this is not, this is not strictly coming from me. This is coming from Tyson, Adam, uh, myself, Ben, Chris, and Melissa. Okay, so again, I'm stressing this is a first draft on the implementation of deacons. This will continue to change, um, but we need additional input in order for it to be the the best possible scenario for our church, I think. Okay, so it's it's set up real similar to our how we function for elders. So I'm going to walk you through this. I've dropped a copy of it in our shared folder. For those of you that keep track of our sermon notes through Google Drive, there is a copy of this that you can pull up on your own devices and look at at home. I'm going to post this on the city as well. Honestly, I was going to run copies for everybody, but with it being a first draft, um, it didn't seem um, like a good idea to run three copies. Uh, it's a three-page document for everybody in here just to toss it on your way out. So um, bear with me as I kind of read through some of this and 
there's something that, that you have a question about, don't hesitate. Please don't hesitate to stop and talk about it. Because again, unless there's a scripture passage connected to it, this is stuff that we're not married to. This is where we felt kind of working together that night. We were starting to land on some of these things, and it's still open for discussion with, between us as elders and deacons, and certainly we welcome your feedback, okay? The elders of this church are assisted by godly deacon leadership in accordance with the guidelines and patterns established in God's word, okay? So a lot of how we're thinking comes from 1 Timothy 3 and Acts, 7, or Acts 6, which we looked at this morning. The deacon body has been entrusted by the church, that's the elders and the members, with the care and the provision of the various and ever-changing needs of this local church through the avenues of serving the corporate church body and promoting Christian unity amongst her individual members. That's a fancy way of saying our deacons are constantly fluid in what they do and how they do it, okay? Because I believe that's what Scripture presents. The deacons bear the responsibility of sacrificially modeling to the church an attitude of humble service as they seek to protect the elders from removing their focus from their primary roles of ministering to the church through teaching and prayer. Okay, so the deacon uh, responsibility, why they are there, is to assist the elders with the many tasks that continue to pop up within a local church. Qualifications, which we've already hit on. Um, the minimum qualifications for a deacon according to god's word are listed in first timothy 3 while the official office of deacon is not listed in Acts 6 the qualifications listed are also used to affirm those appointed to the position of deacon at sovereign hope church we didn't hit on that this morning so let me just read those to you again these were the type of people they were to find it says pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty okay so those are great qualifications to tack on to the ones in first timothy 3 um, each individual who aspires to be a deacon should carefully study, examine, and pursue those qualifications in order to be considered for the role of deacon. I believe these qualifications are what every Christian should aspire to be. That's not the case for an elder, right? An elder has a responsibility to teach. I don't think every church member ought to aspire to be a teacher. Why? James says there's a greater judgment for teachers. So it actually discourages people from pursuing it. Um, so the deacon qualifications are a little bit different in that I think it shows you what spiritual maturity looks like. Every Christian should be pursuing it. In addition, each person nominated for the position of deacon will be examined based on those qualifications by the elder body in the church. Deacons may be male or female covenant members who fully subscribe to the statement of faith of Sovereign Hope Church and are actively involved in ministry within the church. All right. Now here's where we get into some decisions for our church. So those are the biblical qualifications. And you're going to see that I've tried to choose wording that reflects the flexibility of what comes out of this. In addition to the biblical qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Acts 6, the following standards have been adopted for this specific body. All right? So we don't believe these have to go to every church body. We believe this works for our church body. First of all, Deacons must be active in Sovereign Hope Church for one year prior to serving as a deacon. All right? I don't know where everybody's discussion landed. Anybody's discussion land on something longer than being a part of our church for a year? It's okay if it did. Some, maybe? Okay, two years. Um, we felt like this doesn't box us in, but still provides 
least a minimum amount of time someone would need to be here um, before they are installed as a deacon. Um, it's certainly something that we can talk about further if we feel like that needs to be longer. But given, let's get, say, given a scenario where maybe we have somebody at a local church in this area that is well known by a lot of people in the church. Let's say that for whatever life-changing reasons, they then relocate to our church. Let's say they were serving faithfully as a deacon in that church. Um, that's where maybe two years would seem too long if potentially they've already proved themselves to be blameless in the eyes of most of the people in the church because they were local. And then they moved to our church. Um, and so that, that's where maybe that would, that would come into play, that there may be an exception to that. Um, we also landed on deacons being a minimum age of 21 years old prior to serving as a deacon. Anybody land on something higher than that or lower than that? I think I heard some people talking about 18 maybe. Um, anybody talk about 25? Okay, you have to be 25 to rent a car without uh, stipulations. Um, so our society says we're not going to give you the responsibility to take one of our cars until you're 25. Um, here's where our discussion kind of landed on 20. And I don't expect everybody to get feedback right now. So please feel free to email, to message us on the city. We welcome your feedback, okay? Um, we landed on 21 because we believe that somebody could viably graduate from Bible college after four years in college, come out with a degree, um, be married, move to our church, and be mature enough to potentially serve in this capacity after being here a year, which would potentially put them at 22, but 22 seems like a weird age because our society says 18 is important for some things, 21 is important for some, 25 is important for some. We felt like it at least left the door open for somebody under 25 without boxing ourselves in again. Um, we had a hard time coming up with a scenario where somebody younger than 21 would be installed here as a, as a deacon um, because they probably wouldn't have had time to finish college, which in our society is kind of a, a stamp of approval from a maturity standpoint that you have, you have taken responsibility and you've pursued a degree and now you're ready for a big-time job. Um, we also, I think, I think the reason putting an age is important because there was discussion about just leaving the age out at, at all. I think it validates somebody who is young where the church is saying we think you can be a deacon that maybe is hesitant because they perceive themselves to be too young. I think it validates somebody if we say, hey, we agreed that 21 was the minimum. This person is 23. So there's nothing in our how we function documents that would prohibit them from being this. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you the reasonings why we landed on this. And again, it wasn't just me. There was continuity in, in the next part. And if you hate it, you're welcome to tell us that you hate it because we are not married to it, okay? Um, so we felt more comfortable with the first two things that I told, you, I told you. In addition to the biblical qualifications and the above listed standards, the following preferences have been adopted for this specific time for this specific body. Okay, so that you see the other two are for this specific body, but we kind of believe that once we land on it and decide it, that's what it'll be moving forward. The next two things are based on where we're at as a church right now, and that could potentially change in two years, and we would change the next two things, okay? Um, first one I'm not as nervous about. I'm go real slow here. All right, male deacons... Male deacons should be willing to serve in the capacity of C group leader to ensure the continued expansion of our small group ministry. 
with qualified and skilled teachers to facilitate the discussion and spiritual care designed for these groups. Part of the reason we need more deacons is because we need more C groups. We need more small groups. We need people that will lead those groups for us. Okay, so we're looking for qualified people that we can then tell people, you're now a part of that person's C group, and that person feel good about it because it's a deacon and not just an individual in our church leading it. That there's kind of affirmation coming from the, from the elders. This person is capable of leading this C group. Okay, so from a male standpoint, um, the preference now would be that any male deacon that we add would be someone who's willing to serve in that capacity. Okay? No, no, no. We're saying that we want qualified and skilled leaders. And so we're asking the deacons to be that because we believe that's what a qualified... We, we believe anybody that would serve as a... Yeah. Yeah, we want qualified and skilled leaders to facilitate our discussion groups. And we believe that a deacon is a qualified and skilled leader to do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Second, second part, and I'll tell you, there was more disagreement about the age than there was about this one. Okay. Um, from the female deacon standpoint. Before you pass judgment, I'm going to give you five reasons why we came up with this, and then we're done. (laughs) We landed on female deacons being single so as to not undermine the authority of their husband, even if by perception only. Here's some reasons we landed on this, okay? And again, there's no brackets here with the Bible verse that backs this up, okay? We felt like for our church, again, for this time in our church, that it made sense for us to look towards female deacons being single. And here's a few reasons why. One, as elders, we don't want our spouses serving in the capacity of deacon. We feel like that puts too much on us. And so we were already, we had already penciled in, you can't nominate an elder's wife to be a deacon because that really defeats the purpose of what we're even talking about here, trying to alleviate the elders from having to do certain things. Secondly, We couldn't think of anybody in our church where the woman was qualified and the man was not. Okay, so what we came up with was the fact that there's not a situation where we felt like the woman should be the deacon and the man shouldn't be. Okay, Um, we expect that if a man is a deacon, that his wife plays a part in his ministry and supports that. So in a sense... She's an extension even of his deacon ministry, and so they are kind of co-serving together. But what we didn't want was to have Tom and Denise to both be deacons so that when there's a deacons meeting, the expectation is that they both be there because I think then that creates potentially a strain on that family relationship if they're both given all these responsibilities. And, you know, in a case where somebody has kids that still have to be cared for, so um, Marcus and Renee, you know, They've got a young child. We didn't want it to put strain on the relationship. So we felt like, okay, we can't think of any situation in our church where we would want the male or we would want the female and not the male. Um, And so therefore we said, if we're going to have somebody from that family, the the man is qualified and the woman would be an extension of his ministry. So there's no reason to elevate the woman and not the man. Um, I think it also allows us to elevate the status of singleness in our church, which we talked about several, a couple of years ago now. Paul loved singleness. He, he encouraged it. He said, if you're single, you've got all this time to do this. What we didn't want potentially was somebody serving as a deacon. It's very likely they experience a life change, right? It's very likely that a woman becomes pregnant. And now what she agreed to do, 
the circumstances have changed. And so we didn't want women potentially coming in and out of deacon ministry because they were having kids and, and, and couldn't fulfill the demands of it. Um, we also felt like we had single women from all age groups already here in our church. So it's not like we only have one female in our church that's single and everybody thinks about that person as well, but I guess that's the person they're talking about being a deacon. Like, so we've got multiple, multiple single women and we felt like that given the, the things that we're talking about deacons doing, the hospitality and, and, and the welcoming, that having young kids may prohibit someone from being able to do that fully their attention should be on their home and using their home as an extension of ministry for their husband who's potentially serving as a deacon. I don't know how convincing that was. Um, that's where we landed in our discussion. My, my hope is that you see humility in us even coming to you with the first draft because what we didn't want is to stand up here and say, here, we decided this. You have to be 21. You have to be single. And, and then you'd be like, gosh, like why do they bully us around with stuff like this without, you know, we don't ever want it to be elder-driven, right? Like, we don't ever want our church to be, this is what the elders say, and so this is what goes. We want it to be elder-led. And there's times when we come to you and we say, we really don't know the best way to do this. We'd welcome your feedback because we, we believe you guys are, are wise. You're, you're, you're our sheep that have been entrusted to us, but you're wise sheep. And so we want to lean heavily upon your wisdom at times when, when we don't know always the best answers. So... Um, the rest of the documents in the folder for you, I'm going to post it on the city. Again, we welcome your feedback. Don't feel like you're criticizing or calling us out for something. We put together this first draft to get the conversation started. Um, and again, there wasn't a ton of, uh, a ton of thought beyond that, that time frame a couple of weeks ago to go into this because we felt like let's get it on paper. Let's start revising it and let's fix it and let's go forward with it getting your feedback, realizing there's going to be several drafts to this before we get it right. Okay? All right. I'm available if you have questions afterwards. Don't hesitate to come and ask. Um, what's clear is that we need deacons because there's needs in our church that aren't being met the way that they fully need to be. Um, and I hope you see that this is an effort for us to move forward in that direction um, as well. What? Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here uh, to gather this morning, um, to work through your word, and to to be authoritative where we see clearly in Scripture what you're trying to accomplish through your church. And then, um, God, I pray that we would be flexible enough to uh, to work through the other issues where there's not clarity um, so that we can develop a, a deacon ministry that serves this church best. Um, God, we really want that. Um, and I know the elders want that. I know the other deacons want that. And I know that we're coming humbly to our church to let them know that we don't have all the answers, and we certainly want feedback so that we can come up with the best possible uh, ministry so that people's needs are met fully. Um, so, God, I pray that you would be honored by what took place today. Continue our discussion in a profitable way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.